0: the strange brew podcast that was the hootenanny and thoughts of you from the hootenanny plays the songs of ron ryan and that's because i've got ron ryan here today writer of number of dave clark five hits a brilliant story going way back into the 60s and uh, still songwriting today a huge welcome ron
1: nice to be here mate
0: Fantastic. And um, really interesting hearing uh, that new album, because the bulk of the tracks are, are by the group Hootenanny, but it's got yeah. a very authentic 60s
1: sound. That's what, exactly what I thought, yeah. H-
0: how did this come about?
1: Well, um, Joe, the drummer, the lead of reveal, contacted me and asked me if he could do it like an interview. And we'd done an interview, and at the end he said, are you still writing? And I said, yes, I'm still writing. Oh, he said, I'm interested to hear any songs, you know, what you do. So I sent him a a song, and he said, oh, I like that. Have you got any more? I said, how many do you want? (laughs) And he said... Oh, send a few more! And before we knew what we knew what was happening, we had an album.
0: In terms of when the the songs date from, are, are some old songs, new songs. Or... Yes,
1: um, the um, thought of never seeing you again goes back to the eighties. I wrote that in the eighties. But the the other songs, are, 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 most of them, are quite recent. I mean, I'm still writing. I've just done a. We finished an album with a friend of mine in Vegas, in America, who's a singer-songwriter. I hasten to add, although we're cooperating on it, I write alone, always have done, you know. He was covering my songs. I've known him for about 10 years online, and he's covered lots of my songs. And I said, well, why don't you do an album of your own songs? And he said, well, I don't know where to start. And I said, well, I said, your family come from the Dust Bowl area in America in the 30s when they went from the dust Oklahoma to California to get away from the dust. And I said, why don't you write um, an album themed about that? And he said, I wouldn't know where to start. So I wrote a song and sent it to him to start him off. And he was away. Then I wrote a song in the middle. And he wanted ones to end it. So I wrote engine song we're we're way through volume two now
0: and the new Hootenanny plays the songs of Ron Ryan album there's bonus tracks on there from um, uh, yeah. one of your early bands The Walkers so that takes us all the way back to Regent Sound on Denmark Oh Street
1: yeah, yeah 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 1964 Oh yeah well that was that's, that's a bit of an interesting story we entered Band of Bands a band battle back in London in the 60s, early 60s. And um, there were some good bands. I mean, some really good bands there. And I said to my band, we were doing well. We won a couple of early heats and we were tipped to do well. But I said, listening to the other bands, we haven't got a chance against some of these. They're so good, you know, Mm -hmm. because my mum was a seamstress. I said, what I'll do is... Let's put on a show. Instead of just going on and playing like everybody else, let's do something different. Let's let's put on a show. And I had my mum run up cloaks with red lining, black cloaks with red lining. And we called ourselves Count Drack and the Drax. <laughs> <laughs> and we won. Um, it was a show business bit, done it? You know, all the girls are screaming because not out of... You know, oh, any good looking or anything like that was, I was going, like can towards the and the girls were screaming and everything else, and it was, it was good fun, you know, and um, anyway, we won, and what was supposed to be the prize was a record contract, and it turned out to be, I think, two or three hours at Regent Sound. <laughs> You know, it was a big con really because every heat they charged people to go in and the semi old they charged them and the final. I mean, the people who ran it made a load of money. The bands made nothing. That's how we ended up in Regent Sound.
0: And that was a mix of covers and some of your own songs like
1: yeah. I Have Love. Yeah, I was writing back then. The first thing I, I wrote was a blues and I didn't know, I didn't realise it was a blues till years later. And I was walking along the street. I was only about 12 if I was that. And it was a rainy day in London. And my feet were click, 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 clump, 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 four beats to the bar kind of thing. And as I was going along, I was writing this thing in my head. Because I'm not like a lot of songwriters. I do all my writing in my head. Right. The song's nearly finished before I pick up a guitar or go to the piano. I can remember what it's called, Deep Sea Blues. <laughs> That was the first song, and it just went from there.
0: And so, the Walkers, originally, you were playing as the Walkers in the late 50s, were
1: you? Yeah. Well, I was in other bands before. We started as a skiffle group, like a lot of the bands did. You know, the Beatles, the Stones, they they all started as a, a skiffle group back in the 50s, following Lonnie Donegan and, and the others. And my brother and me were in it, and I had a washball player and a tea chest blaze player... Mm. (laughs) and it went from there
0: songs of yours that was released that i can find is uh sometimes which was uh recorded by oliver reed
1: oh yeah yeah well we're probably jumping ahead a bit but um i'll fill you in on that yeah. so that it ties together mm. well, i knew dave clark he had a like a dance band a di- i think it was called the dave clark quintet or something like that and uh we played gigs with them they um played on a bill and we we supported them or they supported us and, usual kind of youth clubs and, mm-hmm. and things like that he said to me your brother's very good on guitar i said i know and he he went behind my back and uh, offered my brother a, a job in his band because he was much better than the guitarist they had mm-hmm. and my brother came up to me and said i've been offered this by dave clark i said take it i said he's he's got better jobs than i've got i said could we were still playing in pubs Dave were doing Mecca dance halls and things like that, you know, and American bases. I said, the money would be much better with Dave Clark and the jobs would be better. Uh, go with it, it's an opportunity for you. So he said, well, as long as you don't mind. I said, no, no, you go, mate. So anyway, he, he that's how he joined the Dave Clark Five. Mm. Now, he was too young to drive, so Dave used to come along and pick him up from my parents' house where we lived. My brother was a bit vain and took a long time, especially with his hair, getting it all right, so he was never ready. So I made Dave a cup of tea, we sat down talking, and we became friends, you know, and that's how that started. And anyway, we were talking about songwriting, and um, he said, I'm working as an extra on a film with Oliver Reed, he said, and uh, I've been chatting to him, and he wants to make a record, and I said, well, I could write a song. And he said, well, if you write it, we go 50-50 on it. Um, I said, well, fair enough, you know, um, if you can get it to him and get him to record it, you know, whatever money, I'm not a greedy man, we'll share it. And so they, they recorded it, and it's, it's under Ryan and Clark, but Dave is very unmusical. He? He, he wouldn't know a crutch from a from an at So that's how it started.
0: Those early songs where you did get a credit with uh, Dave, um, I think the Mulberry Bush may be an example, those very early ones were jointly credited at that time.
1: Yeah, well what happened was um, Dave said, what it was, he phoned me up, because we were friends by then, and he phoned me up, he lived alone, he lived in a flat in Philip Lane in Tottenham, he phoned me up and he said, oh, I've got troubles, I said, well come and have a cup of tea and tell me your troubles mate. So anyway, he come over, he said, I think I'm going to lose my record contract because the records that we've made are not selling. And I said, well, I'm not surprised, really. He said, why? He said, they're good. I said, they're all right, but they're covers. I said, you've got groups like the Beatles that are just coming into prominence. And I said, they're writing their own material. Oh. And he said, I said, well, let me write something, you know. And um, I wrote Mulberry Bush. And again, it was Dave Clark, Ron Ryan. I was going to get 50%. And um, we shook hands on the agreement. And Mulberry um, Bush, although it didn't get in the charts, it got them their first TV appearance because it was different. Although it's an old nursery I am, but it, it was different, you know, and it had a different sound. So that's how that started. I'd done Mulberry Bush. And I'd done another one called Doodah, which is the old Campdown races, rewritten. But I did say on the sheet music, I said, you know, and on the record, it should be traditional. It's not a new song. And it did go out as traditional. I didn't claim to write it. Anyway, then I wrote a song called That's What I Said. I thought it was a good song. And, you know, they'd done a great job on it. Then Mick Smith wrote Glad All Over which is a take on an old Cole Perkins song with the same title that was a smash hit Come
2: along now. let's go down to the mulberry bush let's go down to the mulberry bush you and me to the mulberry bush Dance Is the way we're gonna do the twist Up and down and around and around like this That's the way we're gonna do the twist Dance till early morning I'll take you down to the mothering
3: bush That's the place for you They do the twist, the stomp and the loo
4: Even do the locomotion
3: too the, new, the old commotion too come with me to the mulberry bush come with me
2: to the mulberry bush let's go down to the mulberry bush dance till early to even
3: to the low commotion come with me to the mulberry bush come with me to the mulberry bush
2: let's go down to the mulberry
1: all over. We was talking and I said, I heard a record and I bought it and gave it to Dave. I said, it is a record you should listen to. He said, why is that? I said, well, the style of this record would suit the Dave Clark Five. He said, oh. And it's a song, if you're called Your Ma Said You Cried In Your Sleep Last Night. And it's an American song. It was bought out in America. But, um, an English guy, I can't remember his name now, straight off the top of my head, but he recorded it. You can hear the early Day Clark Five. They utilised that sound on GLAD all over, and it worked. And that was a big hit. And Then I wrote Bits and Pieces.
0: And that built on it, really?
1: Bits and Pieces was two songs of mine. Mike was a good singer, and also Den and Len were good singers. And I've always liked country music, so I said be nice to have a country flavor to something different because Dean Martin had a big hit with Little Old Wine Drink and Me. Mm. I wrote bits and pieces originally, very much on the style of Little Old Wine Drink and Me. Dave didn't like it because he didn't like country music like I did. And he said, well, have you got anything else? And I said, well, there's a song I've written, and that that probably suit the band. It's called Keep On Stomping. And Keep On Stomping is... Really, the format for bits and pieces. It's four beats to the, bu- you know, four beats, clap, um, banging your feet on the floor for four, you know, for four bars with the bass drum, and then coming in and everybody get on the floor, keep on stomping, keep on stomping. You can hear bits and pieces there. And what Dave Clark did was he got Mick Smith to take some of the lyrics from my original country style bits and pieces and mix it we keep on stomping and then he said to me then they, by this time they were big you know and dave's ego had gone out the window really and he said to me he said from now on all the songs will the you write will be mike smith uh clark and smith mm-hmm. and i says well i don't like the idea of that he said well you're still going to get your 50 percent and I said, no, I don't like it. I said, I want, I want them under my own, you know. I'm, I'm sharing. You're getting 50% as it is, you know. We're sharing it now, I, I, and I want to be known as a songwriter. Well, he said, no, if you want to continue working with the band, he said, it's got to be like that or it won't. And um, reluctantly, by that time, I had not had a penny royalties, nothing. Dave said, it takes a long time to come through. Mind you, he was driving around in a brand new Jag. (laughs) And he just moved to a great big house in a posh part of London. But anyway, I didn't have any money. So reluctantly, I agreed. And so the songs come out as Mick Smith and uh, and Dave Clark, which I didn't like, but that was Dave's ego. (laughs)
0: You look at it might have even been the first UK Dave Clark five album a session with um it, it's got some of your material on there like uh, can I trust you yeah, and that's... That,
1: that, now that's an interesting story I'm very fast because that annoyed Dave Mick Smith was a good songwriter but it took him weeks sometimes to write a song Dave phoned me up in a, like a Wednesday morning it was And he said, I've got a problem. I said, what's that? He said, well, we're doing this album and we're a song short. We didn't realize that we're a song short. I need a song. I said, when do you need it? He said, today. I said, all right. I said, give me a couple of hours and bring Mike round, because that's how it used to work, you see. I said, bring Mike round, and by the time you get here in two hours' time, it'd be written. And I sat down at my piano, and um, I'd seen the Everly Brothers live and I'm a big Everly Brothers fan I like Everly Brothers I've always wanted to write a song in their style and that's how it came about I, I wrote what I considered to be an Everly Brothers type song and if you listen to it again I'm sure you'll hear that kind of influence so anyway in about an hour and a half after the phone call Dave arrived with Mike I played him, sat down the piano and played him the song and sung it to him Dave loved it, he said, oh, that's great, that's great. Yeah, yeah, Mick, i give Mick the lyrics I've written out. Mick was very fast at learning stuff, and he said, oh, I've got that simple song. I said, yeah, and he, he got it. I said, I, I worked out the harmony a third above, you know, for Len or Den to sing, and I worked it all out and gave it to him. It, re- it was recorded that afternoon.
3: Trust you with my heart, will you be true? Can I trust you with my love? Will it be safe with you? I've had my heart broken before, I've been sad. And
0: Similar period to this, there was uh, "Thinking of You, Baby" by Dave Clark Five, and that's a bit more blues, <laughs> yeah. isn't
1: it? Yeah. Well, when Dave wanted a record, a uh, song, he'd phone me up. We're ready for another song, run, Okay, mate. And when I'd done it, I phoned him up, and he used to bring Mike Smith over, and um, I sit down and play it on the piano or guitar and sing it to him, and they say yay or nay. He never said nay. We used the songs. But Dave was bored. He, he didn't, because I'm a bass baritone yeah. and I, I write only in the key of C, which is a low key. Mike is more a tenor, so he, he would sing a, a, in a higher key. So when I wrote a song in C, I would sing it to him, and they liked it. Then I, Dave would go. He'd leave us alone for, for an hour or so while he went shopping or something because he, he said, You're talking a funny language called music, you know. And it bored him. And so he used to go away. we used to sit at the piano and i i'd transpose it right from like C to f or g whatever so and when we got it right in his key, we say that 's good, okay, and then we had an hour or so to spare and I used to start off on the uh, on the left hand side of the piano because we 'd be sitting at my on my piano stool, me on the left him on the right, and I used to start um you know, the left hand, like a boogie. Yeah. I like this song by Muddy Waters. I got my mojo working. So I used to do this bass, and um like, like mojo working, but I wrote different words. Uh, I wrote Thinking of Your Baby. And we, we would start off on this till I ran out of words, because I was writing it on the fly, more or less. Mm. And when we finished, we'd laugh and have a cup of tea. Then we'd sit down and play and sing all the songs that we like, like Jeopardy Lewis and Oh of Shaking and Blueberry Hill and all that until Dave come back. So that's how that was done. <laughs>
2: See me reach. Dream
1: it right. She's gonna dream it right Any way you want it, like I said to you before, I write everything in my head. And how I do it, I've got singers in my head. I've got Dean Martin, I've got Frank Sinatra, and I can hear them singing my song. I know it sounds crazy, but I can. And i got bands. I can put a drummer in. I can put an organ in. And I can get it all in my head, you know. That's how I write. Now, when I wrote any way you want it, you ain't going to believe this, but I swear it's true. I had Aretha Franklin singing lead. I had a black gospel choir backing her, doing the, come on Know." know. and I had a black gospel church band (laughs) with Hammond organ and guitar and bass and drums playing that and that because really what that song is, although people don't realize it, it's not really a rock song. It's a gospel song. Mm. If you listen to it and look at it as a gospel song, that that's how it is. Because when I when I wrote it I, and after I written it, I was over the moon because I thought this will open up a new line for Dave and the boys, mm. because nobody else really at that time uh, was doing gospel and rock. No, I mean, um, Rachel's done it. Not many English bands done it. That was the last song that I ever wrote for the band because it was at that time that Dave made it clear no. that he wasn't going to honour honor our agreement to give me 50% of my own songs. He said, it come to too much money. Can you believe that? No. So I got a solicitor uh, and um, my band members said, well... You know, went to see him and said, quite honestly, I mean, when we rehearse, Ron Jenny comes down and plays these songs to us before even Dave Luggs heard us. So, especially because they heard it first, because because uh, uh, I'm not jumping in on because, but I'm just yeah. mentioning this as a side, is uh, most of my songs are quite simple, really, called Structurally Wise, but because it is a totally different it's um it's quite complex to a certain extent it was a sound i had in my head and i couldn't manage it on guitar i had to go on the piano to work it all out because there's a, there's an augmented there's a b flat uh, a flat out augmented in it which i couldn't play on the guitar but i could play on the piano because i could hear the notes you know you work a man try it mm. i could form the chord by listening to my, what's going on in my head i could form the chord that's what happened then He's getting inspired to write songs. Yeah. And the inspiration from that song is the Kama Sutra.
2: Oh, right.
1: <laughs> I knew Ray Davis of the Kinks because um, the Kinks and the Trogs were managed by Larry Page, who managed my band, The Riot Squad. And I knew Ray quite well. And we was always trying to get songs past the censors because in the late 50s and early 60s, the censors you know, uh, were hot on songs. If you, There was a song, you're too young to remember it, it was by Frankie Lane, and it was called Answer Me. I think Barbara Dickerson had the hit over here. Oh, yeah,
0: I know, I know her version,
1: yeah. Yeah, answer me, yeah, yeah. oh, my love. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, but do you know what the original lyrics were? No. Answer me, oh, my lord. Huh. Just what sin have I been guilty of? I think if you go on YouTube, I've never tried it, but if you go on YouTube and play Frankie Lane's version, that's what he sings. Answer me, oh my Lord, just what sin have I been guilty of? And they changed it to answer me, oh my love. Mine was any way you want it. It's written about the Kama Sutra because it was banned and it had just been released. It was unbanned, if you like. And I read it, and I thought, "Wait, it's an idea for a song, anyway you want it, (laughs) because it's all about sexual positions." (laughs) Now, the funny thing was, Dave Clark never said a word about it. The band never queried it. The publishers never queried it. Nobody ever queried it. Another thing, Dave Clark Five, No Time to Lose. And it's got my name on it as well, with Dave. Yeah. Okay. True story. I went to see the Beatles live at the Astoria of Park. We lived in Harrogate near Findry Park. So I had a few bob, I booked seats. I could touch the band near enough where we were sitting, right in the front. And oh, saw the Beatles live. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. They finished the show, they come back, done the encore, done, done Twist and Shout. It blew the place apart, and I thought to myself, hello, this is a bit interesting. So the next day, I phoned up the office in London, their office, and I spoke to one of the people there. I said, um, can you give me some information? They said, certainly. I said, um, I saw the Beatles last night, brilliant. Oh, good, the Finch Park. I said, and um, they finished with "Twist and Shout. And I said, have they got any um, plans to release it as a single? And they, uh, and they said, no, oh, no, no. From now on, they're only going to record original songs. That's their new policy. Because they were doing covers on LPs and all that. And I said, oh, fine. And they did put it on an LP in the end. But anyway, I phoned Dave Clark up. I said, get Mick round here as soon as you can. I've got a hit. Oh, Dave, excited. So he came come I got my guitar out. And I played what I remembered of it, you see. And uh, Mick said, oh, I like that. I said, great. And Dave said, well, you've written better songs than that. I said, no, I didn't write it, Dave. I said, it's not my song. It's, it's the Isley Brothers. Really? I said, That's gonna be it's going to be. The Beatles done it the other night. It's pulled the place apart. If you bring this out as a single, you'll go number one. And he said, no, no. And they were going to do my doodah. They had a, a session book to do my doodah with session players, as usual, and everything else. And um, I kept nagging him about doing it. And Mick Smith said to him, oh, for God's sake, let's just do a quick one-off of Twisty Chat to keep one happy. But Anyway, they'd done it. And when they heard the playback through the speakers, they could suddenly hear what I heard, you see. Dave come back all excited. And Dave said, we've done it, you know, and here's an acetate, give me the acetate of it. I said, oh, great. I said, well, you're going to go and do it? You, you're going to release it? He said, Well, I'm thinking about it. But what I think, looking back, is that he didn't write it. He, he thought, mm. What's the use of a, a hit if I ain't going to make money from the song? You know, that, that's the way his mind worked. And I kept nagging him. Now, Dave Clark never played on the hits, that was Bobby Graham, session player. Bobby Graham phoned up Brian Paul. And said, you know, I'd done a session with Dave Clark and I'd done a twisted shout. Bloody great. Get in the studio and do it, which he did and I got it out. I went mad. Dave was having the rehearsal with the band. I I stormed over there in my car I I called him all the names. I said, I handed you a smash hit on a plate and I said and I wasn't gonna make any money. I said I was gonna make a penny out of it because I didn't write the bugger. I said yeah, it got you number one. <laughs> And cool, we had a big argument about it. But he was a bit sheepish, and then he came round to me about two days later, and he said, "I've got the backing tracks of, of that." He said, "The Twist and, and Shout." Can you write new lyrics to it? Uh. And I said, "Well, you've never get away with that." He said, "Well, you you're a good writer, Ron." He said, "I think you could write uh, a good set of lyrics, and um, it will sound like a new song." I said, No way, Dave, nobody's gonna fall for that. And he was nearly crying because he spent money doing you know the session. I said, I'll try, I'll try. So anyway, I I scribbled out some lyrics. Mike Smith went in there, they took the original vocal tracks off and put down the new lyrics and sung it. And if you play No Time to Lose, you can hear twists and (laughs) shout. You try that. You wait till you hear it, you'll go, Good God. But the funniest thing was, most of the fans, nobody tumbled, it was twisted out. Which amazed me. You know, alright, so I'm a fair songwriter, but ain't that bloody good.
2: (laughs) No time to lose now.
0: Ray Davis before was it through Ray that the connection with Larry Page was made? What with me? Yeah, because obviously you sort of ended the Walkers.
1: As... Yeah, well, what what happened was I think one one of the Walk my my brother had left, of course, and, um, and we having changes, and we weren't doing a lot. We were doing mainly pubs, and I was I wanted to do something different. I was I was doing right as a session singer. I used to go to Regent Sound and other studios and. We used to make records for... Woolworths used to do EPs with four hit songs on there. I used to do a lot of those. And Danny Street, is another session singer. he done a lot. Tom Jones did a few. <laughs> I was doing all right. So in the end, a friend of mine wanted a job in a band, and I said, well, take over from me and my band. He said, oh, he said. I said, you know, I'm going to concentrate on songwriting and um, uh, session singing. I was getting two pound fifty. That was a going rate in them days. But I was doing sometimes three or four a day, you know. So anyway, and then I'd done the, done the song any time. Larry Page heard it and he said, "Oh, I can get I can get that on a record." He did, and I didn't realise at the time. But he pinched it. He put his name on it as a writer. I didn't realise at the time, but he put his name on it. But um, and that's when that's when I got the riot squad going. And we had Mitch, Mitch on drums, who went on to Greater Things.
0: I think it might have been on the flip of the next single, was another song of yours going to make you mine?
1: Yeah, I was falling out with Mitch. Uh, Mitch begged me for the job in my band because he knew we had some television shows to do and he wanted to go on television. And also we had some big clubs to do as well in London, all the top clubs. He was over the moon when he joined, but after about three weeks, he tried to take the band over. He said, "I'm leading it in the wrong direction." <laughs> I said, "Well, it is my band, and I'll lead it in the direction I want to." Read. You know, we're playing these gigs and they're going down well. Why change it? Why change the winning formula? Anyway, when it come to doing another single after any time, the band come up with somebody had written this song. I want to want to talk about my baby, and I didn't like it. I don't even like it now. So I said, Larry Page, I don't want to do it. He said, well, you're under contract to me. He said, and uh, you will do it. And I said, oh, all right then. So anyway, I couldn't get out of it because I was under contract. So what I'd done, I I used to go down to Flamingo a lot, and I knew um, Georgie Fame and Zoop Money and Chris Farlow well. When I got in the studio to do I Want to Talk About My Baby, I thought... I'll have a laugh here because I'm a good mimic. I can mimic other singers. And um, I thought, right, I'll borrow Georgie Fame's voice. <laughs> <laughs> so when we done it, I sung it like Georgie Fame. Nobody said a word. Nobody said a word. And I thought, blimey, I got away with this. It was a piss take. You know, I didn't want to do it. Then Larry said, right, B-side. I said, what B-side he said well haven't you got a side I said nobody's saying about B-side today oh he said we need a B-side today he said well we'll have a coffee break and while we're having it you write something (laughs) so I just scribbled it all down I didn't even put my name on it it's I put it in, in my wife's name Warren anyway um that was that. But I, I left soon after that. It was either that old, or Strangle Mitch Mitchell.
0: They carried on. I, I've previously spoken to Bob Flagg. and oh, uh,
1: crikey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, What a character he is.
0: David Bowie was in the band for a brief time, so they carried on. and Yeah. The- that nice. went to
1: the uh, Blue Aces, didn't you? Oh, yeah. Well, what happened there was I was going to leave, and I said, Larry, either I leave or I'm going to be in court for manslaughter. <laughs> I said, because Mitch is driving me up the wall. And what it was, believe and one of the things was, even in the 60s, the class thing was still going on. As you can tell, I'm as rough as a badger's <laughs> bum. I'm working-class Londoner. Mitch comes from a middle-class family, and he didn't, like, he didn't like it. I was leading the band, a working-class bloke. Oh, no. What calls a rumpus? We'd we done um, a TV show with a, an Irish show band called the um, Royal Show Band. They were the biggest show band. Before that, I'd done a gig with the Walkers, with the Blue Aces, and I got chatting to the leader. I'm still in contact with him. He's gone back to Limerick, and we we talk often on the phone. And he said, if if ever you leave the right squad, he said our singers talking about going back to Ireland. If you if you want a job, you have got a job here, mate. And I said, oh all right, I'll, I know. I'll keep I'll keep your phone number and that. And uh, but we done this show with the um, Royal Show band. They had a couple of go girl dancers, or about fifty. <laughs> And the drummer stood up to play. It was a really typical show band thing. A song called The Huckle Buck. And my band stood there, especially Mitch, taking the piss out of them, you see, while they were filming. They, they were laughing at them and pointing at them and gesticulating. Uh, and, and at the end of it, I went up to the singer, Brendan, and I, I, after the show, and I said, I want to apologize on behalf of my band. I said, that was out of order. He said, well, Don't worry, Ron, don't worry. He said, They're just an ignorant load of pigs. I said, Yeah. I said, Anyway, I'm going to leave. I said, That's the last straw. You shouldn't be like that with other bands. We're all brothers. And um, I said, um, I'm leaving. I said, I've been offered a job with the Blue Aces. And he said, Well, we're from the same county, Waterford said, and uh, we know them well, and uh, you'll do well with them. And I did. we done very well.
0: That's a great single that you did with them. That's all right.
1: Yeah. Well, you see, the the snag is, and, and Chaz, the leader of the band, every time we talk, and we talk often, he said, if only we'd have listened, if only we have utilised your songs more, and this, that, and the other. And I said, well, really, I joined you, and it was an Irish show band. I mean, mostly we were playing Irish Halls. And uh, they were packed out, you know, it was good money. You know, they, they were, you know, you could earn more in an Irish show than you could do on an English club. Because what they done, they done covers. The Irish show bands, that's what killed them. All they ever done was covers. They never done anything original. Yeah. I, I used to say to Charlie, I know it's your band. It's not nothing to do with me. Uh, I'm, I'm the singer and front man, but you're never going to do anything unless you do something original. And, and at the end, to appease me, we'd done a couple of my songs, and they, they used to go down well, you know. It even got us into the marquee. We were the only Irish band who ever played the marquee. And it was only because we'd done some original songs, and we'd done some soul stuff as well. <laughs>
0: After the Blue Aces, you carried on in the industry. It was more
1: in the country. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I always like country music mainly because I like country songs because mm. they're stories. I used to go and do shows, got quite well known to a certain extent. Mainly because when I in country, a lot of people say I sound like Johnny Cash. Mm. In fact, what happened was I was doing one gig. A guy come out of Yank come up to see me afterwards and said. Uh, You've got a great voice. And I said, oh, thanks a lot, mate. He said, you sound a lot like Johnny Cash. I said, yeah, a couple of people have said that. He said, uh, I'm a representative of the House of Cash, which is um, Johnny Cash's publishing company. And he said, we are looking for an Englishman to record some Johnny Cash songs on an album. And I said, yeah. I said, what's the point of that? He said, well, what it is with your royalties over here... We can get more royalties if we can get a British person to record these songs and get an album out or a record out. We can claim much more royalties. I don't know how that worked, but it worked something like that. So he said, um, would you be interested in doing it? I said, yeah, sure. So and we arranged it through Screen Gems, British Columbia, because they had ties with them. They said, "Well, we booked the studio and the session man." I said, "Well, you can book the studio, but I said uh, leave the session men to me." And I said, "I want cash up front to pay them. and they give me cash. And um, I got friends of mine to come along and play, and it was all Johnny Cash songs, you know, the yeah. Ring of Fire and everything else. But me being me and me being a songwriter, I thought I'm gonna put one of my own songs in. Yeah. <laughs> We'd done the session, and I, I put my song in. It's called Johnny Catcher Legend in His Time. Mm. I got called into the office to get paid for everything. They know my part of the deal. And they said, we noticed one of the songs isn't one we gave you. I said, yes. I said, that's an extra. If you don't want it, forget it. No, we love it. He said, in fact, we're going to use it as a title track. I said, great. <laughs> and they said, the, and I said, the only thing is I am doing, I haven't got a recording contract, but I've got an understanding with another small record company. I don't want to use my own name on it. So I said, well, what name do you want? And I said, well, oh. and there was a magazine. I, I I bought some stuff from a place called uh, Clifford James. I think they sell shoes and everything. I bought some stuff and I thought it oh, was a good name. I said, call it Clifford James. And the, and the record went out as Clifford James. Johnny Cash, a legend in his time. But when you open the record and you see the credit for this writer, it's got Ryan on it.
0: (laughs) The song I wanted to discuss, which is uh, When's the Rain Gonna Fall, which is one of yours. So when's that date from?
1: I had a band called Crowbait. It was a country band. The bass player came up with the name. Because before then, I had Ron Ryan's Express they come up with the name of crowbait, and a record company wanted to do an album of all original songs you see so I wrote all the songs on it When Are the Rain Gonna Fall it was one of the songs and um, it's also used on you know I was telling you about that Dust Bowl yes. thing well, that's, that's on there with me singing it they use it on that on that album so that's uh, it's, that was from the 60s so <laughs>
4: When are the rains gonna fall, oh, Lord? When are the rains gonna fall? Well, it ain't raining for a month or so. Chickens won't lay, corn won't grow. Pigs will lame, the cows don't sick. And there'll be more trouble if it don't rain quick. When are the rains gonna fall? Rain again I feel so hopeless, what can I do? I can build a canal, dig a world two, But I can't make it rain I wish that I could but That could only be done by the of God. When all the rain's gonna fall Send down a little rain Every now to say the same old prayer Please let it rain again I feel so helpless, what can I do? I can build a canal, dig a well or two But I can't make a dream, I wish that I could That can only be done by the grace of God
0: your great songs as we were discussing earlier was because it must have been a mixed feeling when you heard julian lennon singing it
1: well what happened was to take you right back to yeah. the beginning dave clark after bits and pieces and everything else dave clark says it's time for another song run and i said fair enough i said yeah i'll do one anyway they came round and um mixed myth and i sat down at the piano and played them because and sung Mick loved it but Dave said what are you doing? And I said that's a song I've written for your next single. He said you're joking he said it's a ballad. I said yeah I said but the trouble is you are running the risk of being timecast. When people think about Dave Clark they go boom 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 boom. he said that's a winning formula. I said yes but there's more to the Dave Clark five than that. I said the last thing the fans are going to expect is for you to bring out a ballad. Oh, I don't know about that, he said. I said, not only that, because I always write, I never wrote for the English market. I always wrote for the American market because it's a much bigger market, which proved to be right. So I said to Dave, if you do this song and bring it out, you could start a brand new market. And he said, what do you mean? I said, well... The kids in America are buying Dave Clark Five Records in the millions. He said, yes. I said, but the mums and dads don't like it. I said, but if you record this song, I think overnight you will find that the kids' mums and dads will suddenly be Dave Clark Five fans. No, I I can't see it. He said, I can't see it. I turned around to Mike for him to back me up, but he was looking down at his shoes because he would never argue with Dave. He said, all it's fit for, really, Ron, is a B-side or an album filler. I said, this could be big. I said, even though I wrote it, I know when I wrote a good song, this is a good song. I said, it's a song that's going to last as well. I'm sure of it. It's got a very good melody. It's got very good lyrics, very simple. But they say a lot. I mean, you look at the lyrics written down, there's hardly anything there. But what there is... By a crikey, it packs a punch. Uh, and the chord structure is different to anything else. And um, no, Dave said, and it come out as a bloody B-side, uh, which didn't please me at all. Mind you, it's got Clark on here as a writer. It, it got big. And by all accounts, it's their biggest seller. With iTunes and, you know, with the uh, downloads and everything else, it sold more than any other Dave Clark Five song. It was recorded by over 30 artists, including the Supremes and Mantovani, believe it or not. And of course, when it was a big hit and they released it, and it was a smash hit in America, Dave Clark told the story that he had a big argument with the record company because he wanted to re- release it. And they said, no, no, it's not the usual Dave Clark thing. They were against it. And he said, I put my foot down and I demanded that they. <laughs> What he done? He just reversed the story of me and him.
0: Did you have any contact with Julian Lennon?
1: Well, I did very, very briefly. I don't know if he believed me on Facebook. I'm, I'm only, I b I tried for ages, and it's not that I was bragging, but I wanted him to know that Dave Clark would never be able to write a song like that. To write a song like that, you need a heart and a soul. And, and he said, "Oh, thank you very much for writing the song. It's a lovely song." That's about it. So. Whether he believed me or not, I don't know. All I wanted to do was to tell him out of all the many, many covers, I said, I like yours the best.
5: It's right that I.
0: Thought it'd be good to close over another song from the Hootenanny. Plays the songs of, of Ron Ryan, and I. the thought of never seeing you again is is one of the highlights from that record.
1: Yeah, yeah. I hope it's going to do good for him because it deserves to do good because they made such a good job of it. The thought of never seeing you again. I think that stands out more than anything else actually. But I like that. Term, Thoughts of you as well. They've done a good job of that.
0: Ron, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you and dig into songwriting for the past 60 years or so. Um, it's, it's been great. Oh, it's been a
2: pleasure talking to you, mate. Cheers, Ron. Bye. So you made up your mind, then you're going. I would try to stop you if I could. But you are a very stubborn man And I know my talking wouldn't do me good Yes, I'll walk you down to the station Yes, I'll see you safely on the train but i won't promise you my heart won't break at the thought of never